Thank you all for joining us. This is Straight Talk with NDFB, and I'm your host, Seth Essenson. We're sitting here in a construction zone at what is going to be known as Lakeside Meets, and you'll have to apologize as you hear the 18-volt DeWalt drills. Um, I am uh, joined by Joel Elvram, proprietor of the Ranch Steakhouse, which I can confidently say after I believe eating at almost every steakhouse in the state of North Dakota is the best steakhouse. Joel is a son of Devil's Lake in Ramsey County, North Dakota. He'd actually went away shortly after high school and we were fortunate enough to get him back. My first job after taking a semester off from college and coming back home to, you know, just we were talking about just trying to figure figure life out um, was with Joel Elverham, um, was heartbroken. My girlfriend had left me and... And Joel, Joel was that guy that kind of put his arm around me and really gave me some good advice and some mentorship. So first and foremost, I just have to thank you for that, Joel. And as my first guest, thanks for thanks for being a shoulder for me to cry on. Thanks, Seth. Hey, you didn't see, seem so down and out back then. I, I thought you came in with a lot of energy and a good attitude. I, I see you still have it. Oh, I'm pleased to be with you today, though. I'm, I am... Uh, back at my hometown doing work that I like and, and around good people. So uh, I'm, gl- I'm also glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So it's been a crazy year. Um, I think for, for all of us, um, I don't know that, that anybody uh, other than Bill Gates in 2017, right. Or uh, Dr. Fauci um, saw, saw this coming. Uh, it's, it's changed our lives in, in a lot of ways and I know that you've got a real passion for the agricultural products that you move through your steakhouse, whether it be meat and potatoes or vegetables. I can remember being 21 years of age and you bringing in greens um, that were grown in high tunnels, I believe, just just down the road. Um, so always been very passionate about that product. And actually, through conversation with your wife, Ashley, um, has told me that you guys have taken on somewhat of a hobby farm. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing out there at home? Well, it's been fun for us. Besides uh, 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 the duties of trying to rehab an old hobby farm and raising dogs and cats and chickens for us, we've also uh, rehabbing some of the a former dairy farm, uh, rehabbing some of the old pasture land. We made a couple paddocks and have raised over the last three seasons some lamb uh, that we're able to process in a North Dakota inspected locker, much like Lakeside. Uh, maybe it can be a place we do that future, but we raise up some lamb and we're able to harvest in the fall and, and serve it for uh, seasonally at the restaurant. It seems to be a, a, an appeal. Incidentally, uh, this small rural market of ours, there are some very food savvy people and en- enjoy lamb. Uh, we're able to sell veal, some seafood but of course meat and potatoes is our meat and potatoes uh beef primarily right in a steakhouse but right you know we're happy to be here we're happy to do something we like do something we feel is relevant and and of value and it seems it seems to be well received by by our guests incidentally not just we use agricultural products uh north dakota rays when we can but but we're serving the people we serve are, it's an agriculture community. The people we see and serve are very connected to North Dakota and, and our agriculture industry. It's uh, it's it's definitely a big responsibility and one that um, I could seen uh, over the, the decades 
that you take very seriously and just can't commend you enough for, for what a great, what a great job you do. I, uh, I've always told my mom, <clears throat> I may, uh, I may not have the money of a king, but I can always go to the ranch steakhouse and eat like a king, right? <laughs> well, I'll take the shameless plug at the ranch steakhouse open seven days a week at 4 p.m. Uh, we are here. We have been here. Boy, the steakhouse has been there since uh, 1946. Wow. Now, Seth, I'm not that old. I've, I've been there back in town here and operating the restaurant for 20 years. And in that time, we've, yeah, come to a place where we feel we're doing a good balance, uh, that, that, that something the market will support. Obviously, we don't get the... Um, the price per plate that you can in a larger market, uh, North Dakota, Minneapolis, where I spent a lot of years, and in other states. But, uh, boy, if a guy can come back to hometown, make a living, uh, it's, it's, I think you already won. We were talking before we went live here, just, just rapping about, you know, how, how things have changed so much over the course of the last year. And um, I'm just curious to, to get your take on that. You know, I suppose it was about now that politically on a national stage they really just started to discuss the concern um in the executive branch and the legislative branch about uh, what effect this this virus might have on the, the people of america and obviously there was right. some really tough decisions to be made um for us personally uh, you, you look at as, as as ranchers specifically some of the biggest outbreaks were in in those processing plants in, in jbs and cargill and they had sometimes hundreds and in the cases of thousands of folks that were affected with this coronavirus and in some cases were, were losing multiple employees um, causing a, a, a huge disruption specifically in the animal protein and beef supply chain lines where we saw with our feeder calf crop about the time of March, the, the bottom just really fell out of it. You saw fat cattle go from, you know, $1.15, $1.20 a pound on the hoof dropping down to below 90 cents, which is in my, you know, almost dozen years now that I've been home, um, never, never seen anything like that. We saw feeder cattle drop about 35%. And I can remember sometime around February or March being somewhat disgusted as a producer because you watch the price of boxed beef probably rise about as much where five, six years ago when we were selling $1,700 steers and boxed beef was at, um, you know, $230 a hundred weight, you were seeing, you know, you were struggling to break that $1,000 mark with that, that 700 pound animal and boxed beef was at $430 a hundred weight. So did, did you see that effect, um, you know, coming off the truck then and what has it done since then? And just curious to see, you know, what, what other thoughts you have, obviously I can't think of a sector of the economy that's probably been more affected as far as, um, you know, mandates on capacity, uh, et cetera. Right, can you, right. can you just talk about some of those things well, and how, and how you've made it through the last year? I know you're, a, you're an optimist. I know you well enough to know that you're going to put your head down and get through anything. And just curious to see what your take on that is. Right. All, all of the above, Seth. We, we experienced uh, a spike in prices uh, during a certain time. Uh, this time last year, I suppose, I was uh, chuckling about national news. Oh, they're wearing masks, masks again in China. And, you know, here months later, we're in a different world. That included uh, not only spike in prices, of uh, availability of not, not just beef. Uh, it could be uh, paper and chemical products. Uh, toilet tissue. Um, and, and we're still seeing a disruption, a slight disruption in, in the oddest parts of the supplies that we try to buy and, and source. 
we saw the spike in beef go, and that was combined with availability. So the beef was expensive and it, it was hard to get. For a time there, it was unavailable. And as a steakhouse, uh, we had to, number one, have some steaks available. So we, we paid high prices. We, we changed sources when we could match our quality. Uh, we outed some things. We re- reprinted menus. Uh, in tandem with, uh, I, th- I think we were down to just a takeout for, for weeks and weeks, which limited business throughout the entire year. The price of that beef might not have been our biggest problem. Besides all the other everyday issues with running a restaurant, uh, we it was different times for us. And obviously we're taking this serious by that point. And we're into um, March, April. Uh, we were able to reopen again. I forget the, the, the exact time frame. Mm-hmm. I think the, the beef prices had start to settle out by then. And, mm-hmm. and we're able to have a little more consistency. Mm-hmm. Overall, though, I, I, I mentioned what we see in a, a, the size of a ribeye. It's now wider and, right. it's, and it's thinner. And when and when people tell you I had a steak this big, they 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 put their hands up, <laughs> showing how, how thick it was. Not not a thin cut pancake. So boy, I I I was talking to you about the carcass size, right? And I understand all beef probably stacked up trying to right. get into the processing plants. And, and obviously, producers that that hadn't taken the opportunity to forward contract were in that cash market. Um, where they're ready to go and you're sitting at a dollar fifteen a pound on the hoof and now you're looking at eighty cents, uh you've 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 lost some money. You're willing to hold on to that guy for a little bit longer and all of a sudden that ribeye goes from fifteen to seventeen inches. So um I imagine you've you know, have you had to buy bigger plates, Joel? <laughs> <laughs> fifteen to seventeen inches and and from thirty five to forty dollars. Right. So you know we're we're able and and with our setup we're able to change prices. I suppose I could print menus and have a new menu rolled right. out with newer and lower prices. Now that right. the, the market's corrected since that that disruptive spring last year, we're able to go back and lower prices um, without a lot of delays. Right. A lot of restaurants yeah, probably two month lagged and start right. a new menu. Right. So I I know a lot of operators ate it now. I should not complain so much about my last spring and summer because I, I, I'm witness to what's happening in Minnesota, uh, Chicago, now just able finally to open indoor dining. California, sidewalk dining was shut down. Right. So, I, I, yeah, we've had a t- tough year, but I'm, I'm looking at my <laughs> compatriots in, in the industry across right. the country and, and not, so, not so easy. Right. Right, the future potentially is is a lot bleaker for them than than it is here right here in North Dakota. And as we said earlier, we're 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 North Dakota strong. We just we put our heads down and we'll we'll, we'll figure out a way. And that's one of the things that I've always respected uh, with you as someone who has a little bit of that entrepreneurial streak in them as well. I think you you, you just you, you just figure out how to what what you need to do, how you need to rearrange. And and on that note, um, as somebody who has not. Um, had much experience in managing employees. I imagine you, you were you were all hands on deck as a family because your wife Ashley is involved, your son Ben is involved. Um, remind me again, your daughter's your Madeline. Madeline, Madeline's, yeah, yeah, she's back working with the family business, and 
it, we're, we're lucky that way. It's a lot like farming. Way. It's all well, hands on deck. And Seth, I'd say also our family, our work family, our core employees. Uh, it was clear who stuck around. Uh, right. We did. We were able to take some of that downtime and right. reinvest. Boy, and talk about an uncertain market. We didn't know if we were able to come back. We didn't right. know if the uh, beef prices are able to come back, let alone pork and poultry. And, right. And and our and our supply and the availability of the products that we trying to sell. So uh, coming back in an uncertain market, you, you, you can see who's with you and who's who's coming. And and also, Seth, I was able to see how uh, I was able to recommit to my my business. I was, mm-hmm. I was uh, I, like I said, I'd been there twenty years. I felt like I was just starting out again. And I felt you were on autopilot. Like, well, I felt a, a little hunger, and I felt that it's good for me to you know stay sharp. If uh, somebody's going to survive in the business. I think it's going to be the hungry ones. And that's and right. That's where I want to put myself, I suppose. That's right. So how did you deal with that two o'clock in the afternoon call from, um, you know, the opening bartender or the opening server that said, I, I just got contact trace. I'm, I'm out for two weeks. How did that, how did that whole situation look? I mean, being that, you know, it was in fact a, a, a family business. Is that, is that kind of where you filled gaps? Did you have people on call where you, did you have floaters that said, Hey, if we got somebody that can't come in, how did you, right. I'm, I'm excited to, to, to hear from you, how you, how you bridge that gap, because that was really a major part of the unknown as well. Well, it sure helped having recommitted myself to my business at that point. Right. And in tandem with us being down some employees, remember we're down a lot of visitors too. Right. We still have folks that are laying low, right. Hanging at home. Right. And Boy, we respect that. Business will come when it comes. Though we're able to have more of our dining space open and available, we're limited for some time to 50%. We're able to have more dining space available, but we're not turning folks away yet. Right. We've had, uh, we've had some, some decent turnout, but a lot of folks are laying low and, and it, it, I suppose it'll be some time. I've always, uh, I've always appreciated your optimism, your, 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 your drive. Um, you were, you, you, you were good. You were good for me. And I'm just curious for, for, for anybody out there that, that maybe doesn't have that, that natural bit of optimism and drive that you do, Joel, what, what, what's your advice as we continue to, to navigate through this, you know, this token, this token word, uh, that, that, that trying to find the new normal. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this past year gave us a um, opportunity to reinvent ourselves a little bit. Obviously, our root, all of our routines were disrupted, and the way we put uh, ourselves back together, I think, it was it will say a lot. Um, we say we've uh, had a chance to recommit to family, maybe by being in such close proximity. Great, take it. We're working that. Right. We're working that helping in the future. I can we recommit to ourselves by maybe getting back out on right. bicycle right. as much as we used to, or as much as we hope to. Uh, do we want to take on a business business venture? It, it kind of gets us out of our routine, and, right. and it seems whenever I get out of my own routine, I, I'm able to look at um, my life in a b- right. bigger picture, and that seems to be when I've made the uh, my bigger biggest decisions. Well, thank you so much for your time, Joel. I can't say thank you enough for for being willing to sit down as my first guest. It was an honor to have one of my first bosses that really was an influence on me and and showed me that a a, a small town kid could have success if he if he put his head down, 
um, and, and was willing to work at it and treated people the, the way that, um, that they would like to be treated. And I think that that's something that you've always done so well. You said something earlier at the beginning of the podcast, that's really all about service. And I think that, um, you either have that or you don't, and, and, and certainly you do willing to come up here and in this, in this rat hole that, uh, will someday be lakeside meets and just can't tell you how it, thankful it's I am. happening. This place is going through quite a transformation. It was good to see. Hey, incidentally, this old barn has some history. The ranch steakhouse is an old restaurant in a barn. If you haven't been here, but this barn, that's what half mile down the road uh, from yeah. the, the restaurant, a historic, historic barn. And there was uh, formerly a connection between the ranch steakhouse and this meat processing plant here that's been here for God knows how many years. Almost as long, sure. early 50s, I believe. So it would be good to see this place back alive again and maybe with a similar relationship. On behalf of North Dakota Farm Bureau, thank you so much to our first guest, Mr. Joel Elvram. And that is going to do it for me today. Please enjoy the second portion of the podcast with my co-host, Emery Melhoff, and her guest, North Dakota Representative Scott Lauser. Bringing us into Emery's discussion is a quick legislative update we are calling Pete's One Minute Pause. Take it away. Keeping very busy at the Capitol this week, tracking a huge variety of bills, including private property and personal protection. There's a stand your ground bill, there's a drone surveillance bill, and there's a civil forfeiture bill. We've weighed in on all of these. We're also following bills dealing with budgets and state spending. Of course, bonding and investments have been uh, two of the high-profile issues this session. And we're going to finish this week tracking bills in the House and the Senate Ag Committees. The House bills include dealing with seed dealers and licensing and labeling and tolerances. There'll also be a bill on the sale of raw milk. And one issue that used to be in our policy book uh, covers historic horse racing. I know that went out of our policy this year, but we still have members interested in that issue. In the Senate, we'll be dealing with water and drainage bills. There are several of these, and some of them have problems, and a few of them are okay, so we'll be watching all of those. The Senate is also uh, talking about the state's strategic investment fund, which is important to us. And a very important bill for our purposes is dealing with the definitions of the location of an animal feeding operation. There are some problems in code where it uses one word or another word in different places, and it's very confusing. And we think that this bill is just purely a cleanup, but it will fix a lot of problems that can come up on citing animal livestock. And that's Pete's One Minute Pause. This is Emery Melhoff with the North Dakota Farm Bureau, your public policy liaison. Today, I have Scott Lauser with me. Scott is the District 5 representative, and he's also the Assistant Majority Leader. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about yourself, Scott? Uh, well, uh, as you mentioned, Scott Lauser. I'm from born and raised in Minot and uh, went to Minot State twice. So I've got <laughs> eight years of college. And uh, I'm, I'm living now in the district that I grew up in. And so hometown boy and, and uh, really enjoy being in the legislature and certainly serving as a system majority leader the last two sessions. What do you do up in Minot, Scott? A real estate broker. I've got a real estate office next home legendary properties. We're in Minot, uh, Bismarck, Dickinson, Grand Forks, and Fargo. So it's, okay. it's been busy outside of the legislature as well. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, today we're just here to chat about the separation of powers. Um, This has been a big topic uh, throughout the session, just looking at various things coming down the pike. And maybe we could talk a little bit about um, the separation of powers and where the idea came from and just what it means. Well, separation of powers, I think any everybody that has any any level of uh, understanding of government is the state creates the federal government and local governments, but we're very familiar with separation of powers at the federal level. Uh, the, the executive orders and the ability for a president over the years to enact legislation, uh, we're all familiar with what we call an activist court and the judiciary making law instead of, instead of interpreting. Um, there's three distinct branches of government, all with their own purpose, and uh, separation of powers over the last I would say probably the last 10 years at the federal level, uh, we're very aware of it, but now we're starting to see it at the state level. And that's the discussion that's permeating through the legislature the last three weeks. Hmm. So basically, the obviously you said the basic understanding is the executive, the legislative, the judicial, um, which is something that our founding fathers were uh, very strong about. And they got the idea from... Um, Montesquieu, I believe, some French philosopher guy from. See, no, you told me you were young and you're going seven, back before my time, yeah, so I, I can't, the, I can't speak to where it actually came from, and maybe weeks. that's one of my downfalls. But uh, it's something that we've successfully implemented over the years, yeah. and and, uh, and and those lines get crossed once in a while, and they get blurred. Yeah, especially since the whole idea is to keep one person from getting all the power, um, and so what you're saying is looking at. We understand that well from the from the federal executive level, but looking at how uh, there could be potential power overreach in our own state. Well, and I think there's always that potential, uh, regardless of the circumstances, because we're a part-time legislature, uh, 80 days by the Constitution every two years. And we as a legislative body meet in the interim on our committees in the budget section, of course, legislative management. But we don't have any authority to act unless we're in session. So we can propose ideas and law, but we can't act on it. And and so we are a very, by some standards, a very weakened legislative branch relative to other states because we're only in session every other year for four months. Do you think, Scott, that we should become an annual legislative session or um – no, I've always opposed that in the past. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that's going to, and again, probably in this case wouldn't matter so much what I think because we would have to take that to the vote of the people. I don't mm-hmm. think that the North Dakota citizens want a full-time legislature, nor do I think, although there's discussion about this, that they want us meeting every year. Um, that model is successful in other states. But I think that we in North Dakota have the best system in the country. And so until proven otherwise, I think the 80 days every two years makes sense. And and when I say 80 days every two years, we could separate those 50 days and 30. It'd be extremely difficult to work on a budget one year in a month and then try to do all the policy stuff the next year because they're intertwined. So uh, what we have now is working. I haven't been proven otherwise yet. So one of the things that um, you brought up is maybe alluding, and I I hope you don't mind me saying this, but potentially to um, some of the things that have come down through the um, governor's office. And one of the things that came up during our North Dakota Farm Bureau annual 
convention um, was this concern. And if you don't mind, I might just read our policy um, that our Farm Bureau members adopted. But um, under the state of emergency declaration, all executive orders by the governor of North Dakota must be approved by a majority vote of both chambers of the legislature after 20 days and no more than 90 days after the order is executed. The lack of approval of both chambers of the legislature voids the executive order. And then there was some other discussion about um, mandates and mandates on businesses and mandates on on individuals and um, just those concerns. So I know that I know that you and your colleagues have been having lots of hot discussions about this. And and there's a couple of bills. Is that right? Um, likely more than a couple. Uh I'll tell you the history within the legislature and the people that I've been working with is uh, it's interesting to hear your policy was 20 days. There's been discussion of 60, 45, and ultimately 30 days. I think you're going to see support in both the House and the Senate for somewhere around a 30-day executive order um, or a 30-day state of emergency, and then the legislature would have to extend. And if I'm thinking as though... I were serving in the executive branch. That idea really provides a shared responsibility with the legislative branch. Our governor's been in a very difficult position. People are debating whether or not he made the right decisions, and and I'm not going to question that. Uh, The fact is that since the mid-'80s, the legislative branch has ceded that responsibility to the executive branch, and that stemmed from the AIDS pandemic or the AIDS epidemic back in the mid-'80s. And who would have contemplated back then that we would have had a COVID issue in the year 2020? And it happened when we were out of session. It's true that we had four days left that we could have called ourselves back. That was a difficult act as well because some people said, get into the legislature, call yourselves back within, you've got four days, rescind those orders. Another school of thought was, you've got $1.25 billion coming from the federal government. How are you going to divide that money and spend it appropriately? We couldn't have done that in four days. It took us four months to hear in the budget section where that that money would have gone and in some cases was turned back. So it it didn't make sense to call us in to spend the 1.25 or appropriate it, I guess is a better way to say it. And technically, if we would have come in and rescinded the governor's orders and left, he could have done the same thing the next day. He has that power. We gave it to him. And so now we're in session looking at ways to share that responsibility, take some of that pressure off the governor. And in the event that we had a a state of emergency or, or an executive order that extended beyond the 30 days, if we were called back in to, to consider an extension, that would not count towards our 80 days. That would be the governor's call of the legislature. That would not count towards our time by the constitution. So it's a shared responsibility. It takes, uh, a lot of the pressure in an unknown environment off of one person. But he was in a position that he had to act, whether we like it or not. And we're looking to probably make that system better for North Dakota and have the voice of the citizens heard through their legislators. I like what you said about the idea of the joint responsibility. Um 
that seems a good response to those who would question, are you as the legislature um, potentially infringing upon on your power by taking it from the governor? And so that idea of, of joint shared responsibility is, is what the separation of powers was set up for, was for each branch to hold the other one accountable. Well, and, and in this case, we would be holding each other accountable, but we would also be working together. And we would have real-time information to be able to make decisions and we're all accountable to our voters. The governor's office, by that very nature, cannot hear from everybody. You can't hear from all citizens in North Dakota, but the legislators are, are that voice. And believe me, we were hearing from all sides. We were trying to get our messages to the governor's office. I think we were fairly successful. But there, there are so many factors that go into a decision in a state of emergency. And most of those are on the face look medical, but there's education implications, there's religious implications, there's obviously business implications where businesses were restricted or shut down. And all of that has to be part of the equation, not just medical decisions or, or public health. That's a large issue. But legislators were hearing other issues that fit into that puzzle. And I'm not saying the governor's office didn't hear that, but there's a whole bunch more of us that were. And if we were able on a one or two day session to be able to have those discussions on the floor of the House and the Senate and make an informed decision if we're going to go another 30 days, that's what this new legislation would allow. Could you explain to the difference between a executive order and an emergency um, order. Is there a difference? Are they the same thing? You no. hear you hear both terms thrown around so much, so maybe you could just go into that. Well, the state of emergency, we've been under a state of emergency since last March. And that's from the federal government, correct? Well, no, the state. Okay. Well, it, it stemmed from the federal government. Now, an executive order is a decision made by the executive president or governor on an issue. And so there could be, we could end the state of emergency there might be federal implications to doing that, but an executive order could be a mask mandate, for instance. You don't need to have a state of emergency for a mask mandate. State of emergency is that we are facing a pandemic or an epidemic, um, and it's at this point, it's an undetermined amount of time un until, unless the governor says it's expired. Um, right now, it's open. It's open-ended until it's rescinded. So an executive order, uh, and I, I don't know the number, I think it's over 50 of, of the executive orders that have been in place in, in 2020. And uh, those orders can be very targeted and specific. So that's the difference. So would this legislation give the legislature oversight over executive orders? I know, just to give an example, we had... Um, uh, our producers have to have something called a restricted use pesticide applicators license for applying restricted use pesticides. Um, and one of the things that happened was NDSU extension stopped meeting and stopped giving out the licenses. And so obviously an executive order came down through the executive branch to extend those operator's license so that myself and my dad and, and our community could go ahead and apply that um restricted use pesticide in, in the spring and, and the, you know, 2020 year. Um, so would, would these pieces of legislation that we're talking about give the legislature oversight over those kind of executive orders yeah. or more the emergency? 
you just gave a great example of a positive. And so um, in the case where an executive order, now the, as, as the bills have been drafted, the executive orders, the ones that I've seen, really focus on 30, 30 days. And if, and if that executive order needs to be extended, uh, the legislature would have, have a say in that. Um, now, if that were a 60-day executive order, we wouldn't be in for two months. Or after 60 days, it would expire. And, and really, that's the, that's the unknown that the legislature wants to be involved and have their shared responsibility. 30 days might be sufficient. 30 days might be sufficient or 15 days. But if it goes beyond that, and that's kind of the collective, uh, you, your policy statement was close to what we're hearing in the Senate and in the House, 10 days difference. We started at 60 in the House. My understanding is the Senate, as they were contemplating their their bill draft, was 45 days. They settled at 30 about the same week that the House discussed introducing a bill at 30 days as well. So maybe that's the magic number. Maybe 20 is. Um, we'll see as these go through the committees. They're going to have to cross over. And, of course, there has to be strong support in, the, in both chambers for this to be effective. We can't have a narrow vote and then have something that that the governor could easily veto, and uh, and and really go back into the, either of the chambers and and not pass. Uh, that's a lot of wasted time and effort. So, I would hope that everybody working collectively will find a solution that works, not just for North Dakota but for the executive branch. Should this ever happen again, and I don't want to have to be called in. A thirty-day executive order that makes sense serves its purpose. Don't call us in. Limit the government participation, um, protect the public to the degree we need to, and don't call us in if you don't have to. Do you think that we're going to get something passed or yeah, you think so? I do. Okay. I, I think that there's enough, uh, there's, there's enough input from the legislators that are involved. There will be input from all the legislators when it's debated on the floor of the House and Senate, both, both, uh, chambers and when it crosses over, uh, but this is also speaking the voice of our of our constituents, and uh, and the media is going to pay attention to this as well. So I, I can't imagine that we're not going to have a solution that everybody agrees to. I don't, we don't want to put the governor in that kind of position to have to veto something and and override it. Uh, we want something that's palatable to everybody, and, and I would hope that that's the case um, as we as we approach crossover. So we'd be looking at something probably mid-February as to the language it could get amended in committee, but what language are we really going to stick to? I think we'll know in the next three weeks. Well, is there anything else that you have on the horizons regarding the separations of power or anything on the, obviously there's a whole nother conversation on the federal level with looking at protecting our state from potential federal um, overreach. And so is there anything coming that you're sponsoring or, or that your colleagues are that, that you are excited about? Well, I just we just got out of committee where I introduced a bill to provide some liability immunity to ammunition manufacturers if, should they ever want to relocate into North Dakota. And it has to do with not just recruiting a business into North Dakota or an industry, but protecting from federal overreach uh, in the event a new administration wants to restrict um, ammunition. Now, the committee amended weapons into that bill, and and the whole purpose was looking at federal overreach. Now, that's probably not an example that, that you would, would have thought of. It's fresh in my mind because it was a half hour ago. Uh, we, we do have a bill in our committee that 
uh, was introduced by Representative Becker uh, last week that would restrict or put a pay moratorium on the governor and anybody making over 125000 uh, if if their executive order were to shut down or hamper a business. That's going to get amended. Uh, I will have an amendment to make that probably a more practical bill. I've talked to the sponsor about that. Um, there's another separation of powers, or if we want to call it a shared responsibility bill, because it would be referencing the executive branch or the executive and the legislature, as well as a couple other entities. So, yeah, there's going to be over the next three weeks, we're going to see a lot of that protecting of government overreach from the federal government and separation of powers within North Dakota. But again, probably better to say no matter what side of the issue you're on, this is shared responsibility, not restricting somebody's responsibility, one branch or the other. This this is shared responsibility between the two. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for taking time to visit with me today. This is an issue that is keen in our members and producers' minds and um, just that we would have the freedom to um, be able to go about and, and not wake up in the morning and count how many things we're not allowed to do, but wake up and say, hey, this is what we have opportunity to do today. And I really appreciate representatives like yourself and um, the ones that you've spoken of helping us to protect those opportunities. So We've got, uh, before I go, that there's one thing that I think is important in North Dakota this session like never before, and, and that's the ability for us to stream our committee hearings live and recorded, they're indexed, on all the bills that we're hearing. It's the ability for citizens to participate like never before. If they if there's the time and the availability in the committee to log in through Zoom and make a request to have testimony heard, you can submit it electronically. Uh, we have some restrictions at the Capitol, but we've also never had a session like this where we've been this transparent and open to the public. Um, it's, it used to be just the floor debates. Now it's where the sausage is made in the committees. And I, I bring that up because my sense is that as people get used to that, it's going to be very, very easy to say, I want to participate in that bill and I want to email my legislators or I want to email everybody. And that's great, but understand we're going to get bombarded with email. We don't have staff. We get all of that ourselves. We are going to rely upon organizations like you. So when your members need to get a message to us, it's putting extra pressure on you as well. But but understanding the dynamic, um, messages are in competition with a lot more messages than they've ever been before because of what we're allowing. And uh, email is effective, but your members through you and your members through their specific legislator is going to make a big difference if they make a phone call or a text message or a unique visit as opposed to an email. Not discouraging email, just don't think it's going to be as effective as it used to be. So that's that's a pitch for what we're going through this session. Yeah, we've talked about how um, young people, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, continue to feel like their government is more and more separate from them, that they just, they don't have a voice, they don't have a, um, a way to give input. And um, this is something that we talked about two weeks ago was just the opportunity that you guys have created to allow um, people just to connect from their smartphones. And I, I've already heard of members and my brother included who've um, connected on their smartphone while they've been driving back and forth doing sales calls for their I, seed. So that's awesome. And I have to admit, I've had to go back and forth home last week. I went back every night 
but I was able to participate in every single bill hearing because I was logged in through a different system and asking questions and voting remotely while I was driving to the Capitol. So I haven't missed a beat, but physically I haven't been there uh, as much as, as in, in past sessions, but this system allows for that. And I feel just as connected as I've ever been. But I, I bring that up because this provides an opportunity for our citizens like never before. We were probably headed there pre-COVID, but we're there now anyway, and we're probably here to stay. So the ability for people to participate and track bills and contact their legislators, submit testimony, or just watch how things work on bills that are important to them, uh, that opportunity is here now. And it, it has been in other states. Um, I'm proud of what we've got, and it's working, by the way. We're three weeks in, and the system is working. So I would encourage people to to follow at legis.nd.gov and pick what they want to watch. Yeah, and if you want more information on how to do that, you can go to ndfb.org and click on our public policy page, and it'll give you a step-by-step um, instructions on how to access all the legislation and, and some of the legislation that we talked about today if you want to track specific bill numbers. and um, Well, I just thank you so much, Scott, for being here. And you almost think that I set you up for that. I didn't know that you had that uh, step yeah, on your that website. That's great. perfect. Yeah, awesome. Good. All right. Well, thanks again for coming from the Capitol and for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Straight Talk with NDFB. If you have a topic of concern that you would like to hear us discuss, please drop me a line at seth at ndfb.org.